everyone to the Hilliard Beacon Podcast Election Special Edition number seven. My name is Jordan Smith, and I am joined to my left by Mr. Tim Hoffman. Good evening. With his traditional Halloween-era greeting. And to my right by Kevin Corvo. Kevin, welcome. Thank you. Hello, <laughs> listeners. Long day at school, Kevin. Today was an easier day. Excellent. Um, I was in the Dublin district and uh, was uh, filling in for a STEM instructor. So I just watched the middle school students uh, do things I probably even can't do. Those engineering kids, they're all self-directed at that age. They know what they're up to. And they know that if their work isn't done when their real teacher comes back, there's going to be problems. Probably so. I mentioned that to several. You can can talk to to them tomorrow. Right. (laughs) Here's what I told you to do today. Well, and we're joined uh, this afternoon by uh, Cynthia Vermillion, candidate for re-election to Hilliard City Council. Uh, Cynthia, welcome in. How are you tonight? I'm doing great. Thank you. And thank you for having me. Sure. Uh, You're coming back uh, this time without uh, Assistant Manager Dan Rowley. So uh, we have you all to ourselves for this session. And this one is specifically about your candidacy for re-election. We've been interviewing all sorts of people up and down the, uh, the political spectrum, pursuing offices uh, through the township, school board, and city uh, uh, council positions. And I'd like to look at uh, Tim real quick, and if he doesn't mind, he can fill you in on the kind of atmosphere we're trying to generate and the overall tenor of the project we're building here with the Hilliard Beacon. Let me tell you, I'd love to do just that. <laughs> So the purpose of this series of interviews is to bring anyone who is willing to, who is running for public office uh, in Hilliard or the surrounding townships, to have a seat and have a uh, friendly, casual chat with us um, without any time restrictions, without any, uh, you know, the idea is to have a comfortable chat. With the end result being any uh, voter who's thinking about voting for you will have a, a much better idea of who it is that's going to be sitting in that chair if you get the chair. Great. I appreciate this opportunity. Great. So all that being said, Cynthia, this is not your first rodeo, as they say. <laughs> Uh, usually we turn to Kevin for an opening question, and if it's going to be, why did you decide to seek re-election? No, different question. All right, curveball right out of the gate, Kevin. Take us away. It is World Series season. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Not a a curveball. I can't throw those. Now, when when you were successful in your uh, bid for city council uh, four years ago, uh, I did come to the Heritage Club, right? Is that where it was? You did. So four years ago, less one week, uh, I uh, I went to the Heritage Club, uh, uh, met Cynthia there, and uh, wrote a story for the former This Week News on her successful uh, successful bid. Who were those guys? (laughs) (laughs) Who they? Yeah, they... Uh, and she became the first uh, Democrat elected to city council in about 28 years or so. Years. 30 years. Okay. So um, I wrote that story, and uh, I was still going to city council meetings on a regular basis uh, to watch the city business and uh, watched you as a freshman council member, as it were, and uh, watched you learn things, uh, appear to learn things um, as you went along. So what are the, what is the most important, if there is one singular important thing, or in general, what are some of the most important things that you think you learned during the four years you've been on city council? That is a great question. I would say um, certainly 
procedures are extremely important. Um, I came in at the same time that our new, our then new city manager did. Mm-hmm. And so when I came in, I didn't have a whole lot of training. I, I met with um, the council clerk. I met with some of the department heads and got a lot of reading material. But um, I basically had to learn on the job for sure. And um, reading the council rules and procedures and uh, becoming acquainted with the, the charter um, and just um, starting out, I think, with developing relationships with my colleagues and the staff members at the city. Starting out like that and trying to find your way to serve with real integrity can be a challenge. What are some of the ways that this new administration that you came in with or this newer administration has made uh, these incoming sessions and these incoming groups of elected candidates joining the governing process any easier in your time on council? Have you seen that process take shape? I have. Uh, Two years ago, when we had Tina and Peggy join council, they had extensive training with the the city manager and uh, with other uh, department heads. And I think that that made a big difference for for them in in learning uh, more quickly as as far as um, what it means to be a council person in Hilliard. Why don't even as far back as your first run for office, uh, you and I were running for office at the same time uh, back then for city council. And in different fashions, I've seen your kind of uh, public service career develop over the years. Why don't you tell us and tell the people a little bit about your personal history uh, before all that? Talk about your career, talk about your family, and, and maybe some of the some of the experiences you had in your professional life leading up to your uh, uh, volunteering to serve and, and being elected. Sure. Well, we moved uh, to Hilliard in the summer of 2004 from Phoenix, Arizona. I have a husband and at the time four younger children. And um, we decided to plant roots here in Hilliard. That's where my husband's new job was. And um, immediately, I really did fall in love with with Hilliard. I think I mentioned in one of the um, Meet the Candidates nights that I loved my neighbors. They were all friendly and helpful. And I I guess I have fond memories of being out at the bus stop with other moms with our kids. And we just talked and... um, and, and so it was a completely different atmosphere than I had experienced in Phoenix, Arizona. And um, like I, I mentioned to you before the broadcast, I <clears throat> wanted to know as much as I could about my new community. So I would every Thursday read front to back the suburban newspaper that came out. And um, after that, I guess it was the Northwest News. And so I, I just always wanted to know what was going on in my community. I was involved in the schools. Um, and then I wasn't really politically involved until 2008. I volunteered for <clears throat> the Obama presidential campaign and um, got to meet a bunch of people in the area who were also politically inclined and... Um, just kind of was involved in various campaigns as a volunteer s- since that time. Um, 
we started um, Progress Hilliard, which, which is a community organization uh, which is mainly Democrats, but um, I always wanted to emphasize that we accept independence and progressively minded people as well. And we um, just came to a point where we never saw Democrats running for Hilliard City Council. So we decided, you know what, we, we need to run some, some candidates here. And that's when in 2019, and you were part of that initially, Jordan, um, we, we decided we were going to put up a full slate of candidates. <laughs> so that, that's what we did. Uh, I had never thought about running for public office prior to that, other than um, I had been to certain council meetings throughout the years, and there was a lot of tension in the room. I, I wanted a council for my city where where we could all collaborate, and, and it was a more positive feeling. So that, that was and, – and I see Kevin is, is making a face. But <laughs> that was directed right over there. I was squinting at that. Oh, okay. Go ahead. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Something on the screen. Okay. Um, so, uh, so that was kind of an, an impetus for me to run for city council. Several of the different candidates that have been through have talked a little bit about um, that the nature of the relationship, <clears throat> how governing happens on council and at those levels. You said you were hoping that you could strive for something that was strongly collaborative. Uh, people would suggest that collaboration sometimes can be pretty rough and grinding. Uh, as you've seen those relationships grow over your term, what would you say has been uh, the biggest point of learning for you uh, when it comes to getting things done in coalition? What, how, how do you make things actually happen with the, with the body as you see it constituted now? Mm-hmm. Well, um, I pretty much first experienced that probably in 2020. Um, I ran on a platform of starting na- neighborhood planning groups, and and so I did bring that up in 2020 uh, prior to COVID. <laughs> um, and I talked to some of my colleagues. No, nobody at that time seemed very interested in that concept. So. At that point, I decided to to drop it for the time being. Uh, but then in 2021, when we we hit, um, well, actually it was still 2020. I'm sorry. Um, I I uh, came together with a Republican colleague, Andy Teeter, and we together were working on the non discrimination mm-hmm. ordinance along <clears throat> with a, a resident member, and um, so we. We met, we had a lot of meetings with um, uh, residents and really had discussions with our colleague or our other colleagues, which really weren't thrilled about the idea. So it was an experience in talking about the things that concerned them with regard to the non-discrimination Ordinance. We we had to do research. We had we you know we would bring back facts. We we brought the community together so so that we had input that way, so that they could understand the need for such an ordinance. Um, does that answer your question? Sure. Uh, there's no real and to get that done, you had to bring a lot of different stakeholders in in the council setting. 
getting that passed was essentially, in my mind, it was interesting because it wasn't just the non-discrimination clause. It was grouped in with a bunch of other uh, adjusted language to be put into the charter. Was that part of your thinking process when it came to how you were actually going to get that done to include it with other things, to maybe break it apart and run it separately as a separate issue? What was your thinking there, and, and what was the body's thinking there? Because there was also issue 26, which was to remove partisan designations on uh, election cycles, and that was put as a single issue. So I was just wondering if if that being put into the charter language cleanup uh, issue was, was part of the deliberations between the council people. Not really. I think that that was probably with the legal department because we were working also with our legal staff in how we should approach this and and language. Um, So no, I I don't think that that was part of the discussions with our council colleagues. That couldn't have played a role in any kind of negotiation because you're more constrained by the legality of how it was going to be organized as a ballot issue. Is that the... It was not a ballot issue. It was an ordinance. Not not Mm -hmm. a ballot issue. I apologize. An ordinance. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead, please. Yeah. Um, So what we did first was we we looked at language from other ordinances throughout the state of Ohio, and then um, as a group we, we picked what we thought was applicable to Hilliard and, <clears throat> and what would be the best for our city. Um, our legal department, of course, helped us to finalize language. And um, when we first had a draft, that's when we sent it out in an email to... Council, our council colleagues, and that's when the discussions started. Um, one-on-one discussions. Um, we also had council the whole meetings on it, and uh, I, like I said, concerns were raised. We went back and did more research, and I'll, I'll give you an example of that. <clears throat> Please, Tom, Tom. Sorry about that. No, um, go ahead. Tom Baker was concerned about the effects on on businesses that perhaps there there might be some um, lawsuits that were frivolous and and so we we went back and did research on real numbers what's been happening in other communities that have these ordinances right. and and so we we were able to show that 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 hasn't been happening right I think that was pretty poorly communicated at the Meet the Candidates night actually and the idea that. Uh, just because it hasn't been, uh, there hasn't been an infraction of the city's clause that it was somehow a failure. And that's actually, I think it's a testament to the success of the clause that it's there as a reminder that TikTok or Twitter or any of these other social uh, entities that have, you know, broadcast messages that are uh, essentially hate and bigotry, they aren't running the HR departments of cities. They aren't running the employment opportunities of gay, lesbian, or trans individuals in our communities in America. So I think that was what that policy was supposed to do. And the fact that it hasn't been used yet or it hasn't been run up against yet is more uh, a testament to its success than its failure or the existing conditions rather than, you know, some need for crisis intervention. And I agree 100%. I actually have an example of the opposite effect. I have a friend who is gay, and he was working in a company in Delaware County, 
um, in the Polaris area, but it wasn't in the city of Columbus. So no protections there. So there were some um, gay slurs that were being thrown around very liberally. And so he, you know, he asked them to please, re- you know, not do that. And um, they threatened him with his job and actually ended up firing him. And they actually they literally told him, we can do this because we're not in the city of Columbus. Right. So, you know, so somebody who is going to, to do that will be aware of what they can and can't do legally. I think it's it was an important step to take, I believe. And whether or not there's been some crisis point to illustrate its effectiveness or need for it is irrelevant. So uh, I think that was that was one element of the issue 25 in that set of charter language adjustments that I could really get behind. Uh, one that's been a little more uh, interesting to discuss in context, and, and it might get us into some talk about community planning and some of the discussion around this year's election cycle, is the role that's been played by the new kind of power-sharing agreement between township, schools, and city council on approval of tax increment financing. Mm. Uh, we've got some more interviews scheduled to talk about the role that that plays in development, but the role that it could play in community planning and that tax increment financing can make big projects happen, uh, can be transformational, and can make things happen quickly. So talk a little bit about how that's been functioning, how you felt that that played out with the True Point development, uh, the role of tax increment financing, and what you feel about its future here in Hilliard. Sure. Um Tax increment financing is one of those things that I wish did not exist in the entire country, but unfortunately it does. So um, that is what we have to work with here. And um, I have to give a big shout out to our economic development director, David Meadows, because he is the one who ran the numbers and went back um, several times to to try to make this work. Um, of course, the developer has their bottom line. Um, the city has theirs. The township has theirs. The schools have theirs. So all these different parties need to make sure that those numbers are working for them. So he put together a plan that was able to be acceptable by all of the parties involved. And that's how that ended up going through. But it, it did take some some negotiation. And we've heard from other people in city council that it came down to certain uh, promises of employers, high employment numbers and different things that may not have had any kind of basis in, uh, you know, real approvals or any kind of uh, submissions. But was, was there anything like that that you felt was uh, fast and loose towards the end to get this thing done? No, normally those are with tax abatements when um, our economic development department is looking for businesses to commit to a certain level of hiring and, um, you know, dollars in in regard to salaries. And those are looked at every year. We were checking out the, uh, the review council documents on that, and certain of them were definitely looked at for clawbacks and things as far as job creation numbers and things like the CRA zones and in those areas. TIF got a lot less attention, and talking to other people, there have been reporting problems and things like that. Talk a little bit about taking on that authority of being the receiver of the payments in lieu of taxes 
and what that responsibility entails at a city level, if you don't mind, because you are and have been inside uh, city government for four years, although TIF hasn't been used very extensively in those four years. So mm-hmm. this new instance of it is is kind of touching on all old feelings for all of us as, as to how this thing works. So talk a little bit about how that came together. <laughs> sure. And I will remind you that it was in 2019 before I got onto council that um, city council decided to make that change to to make TIFs available to residential development with the approval of the township and the schools. Right. So that was before I got on. Yep. (laughs) Um, But as far as the city goes, um, you know, I trust our city staff implicitly. We, We have some phenomenal directors in our staff, and they make sure that the funds that we have are maximized for things like roads and other infrastructure and, and other city needs. Um, so I, I don't believe that as a council member, I have actually stopped to look at, you know, all of the numbers that we're getting from the TIFs and how, how those are being spent um, in detail. Um, again, I think it comes down for me to trusting the director's that we have trusting the city manager and her judgment and, and that she's ma- making sure that, yes, that, that infrastructure is being done with these funds that we're, that we're getting from the TIFs. Well, we have seen basically windfalls of actual appropriately collected tax revenues and things of that nature, funds being accounted for since the implementation of the new city administration. There have been updates and upgrades to a lot of the professionalism as far as the just the organization is concerned. Talk a little bit about the back office that people in the city who live here don't get to see every day and what goes on there and, and some of the city business that people need to be more aware of and maybe some changes that have happened over the last four years and, of course, your term. Well, I believe that the morale of our city staff has increased a hundredfold. I mean, it's amazing the the transformation that has happened with the um, city manager form of, of government and specifically with our city manager, Michelle Crandall. Um, they have a slogan, you know, heart f- for service. And I have seen that among our staff. You know, they they really go the extra mile to service our residents. Um, when you call in something to 311, if it's something like a pothole or changing a light on a street lamp, um, they they get that done right away. And, and they're very fast to respond to residents' needs. Um, so... I think that that is a really, really huge step forward that we've made in the city is just that morale and attitude of our whole city, city staff. You know, they've done fun things like name the, the snow plows, right? You know, <laughs> they, they got to have a, that, con- what was it, a contest mm-hmm. <laughs> for, for naming them. Right. You know, those are fun things that don't <clears throat> cost anything, and, and yet it makes it fun for the residents. It makes it fun for the city staff. Um, I feel like communication is really, really good uh, within the staff, um, to make sure that things get planned and, and get done. Um, our economic development department has grown 
um, you know, from one person from when I started. And now there are, you know, three people in, in that department. And that is so critical because now we have staff dedicated specifically to going out and doing outreach to the businesses of our community so that they know, you know, what are you, their needs, what are they looking forward to in the city. And those things are so important to have if we want to, you know, continue to increase our, our commercial tax base, which we have been doing successfully. Sounds good. Tim, do you have anything that you would like to ask Cynthia at this time? I do. That's good. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Let's then. Um, so after your first term in office as a city council person, that's your first sort of political experience. What were some of the, what were some of the things that surprised you, either good or bad, uh, that came up during that term? Unexpected situations? Hmm. Just things that you thought might be so, but were not so. That is a good question. Or vice versa. Um, you know, it's funny. I, I think I went in with zero expectations because I had no idea what to expect. Right. And I knew that our form of government was changing. So I knew it was not going to be like the old way. Um, probably... Probably what surprised me the most was that sometimes people in these positions are not very professional okay. and not very kind. Mm. So I believe in always being professional and courteous when we're dealing w with each other. That's part of consensus building. It's part of collaborating with your colleagues. And, and yet... Um, I guess the experiences I've had where I felt some of my colleagues were not that way did surprise me mm. because we're all professionals. Right. Or supposed to be, at least. Um, <laughs> and yet you're still back here for a second go at the office. And that speaks to one thing outweighing the other things. So what... What outweighed that kind of disappointment? Because that's got to be disappointing. You're at the highest levels of city government. The only people above you are essentially your voters. Mm -hmm. uh, and you are charting the course for the city. What, what, what drew you back? What brought you back? Honestly, it's because I feel that I have been accomplishing good things for our community. Um, I've worked really hard. You know, I... I mentioned I worked on the non-discrimination ordinance. I was the sole sponsor of the energy ag aggregation bill. And um, that to me is really important. I'm seeing people right now, not only are they supporting clean energy, but they're getting a 40% savings on their electric bill, which they're seeing now coming through on their October bills. That, that kind of stuff, to me, makes this worthwhile. I spend a lot of hours reading material <laughs> and, you know, researching and talking to people. Um, but it means a lot to me that I can make a difference for people in my community, a positive difference. So I am willing to put up with the negatives. <laughs> there you go. Swallow the bitter pill. Kevin, do you have any questions you'd like to ask Cynthia at the moment? 
Because I have a follow-up about her electric aggregation program okay. I'd like to get into. I do, please, and, go and ahead. I'll go to my question in the hole because I was going to ask her why she sought to run for re-election just on that premise as right. we had a local candidate decide that he no longer wanted to participate in what he described as a uh, toxic political environment in Hilliard. So, um, but uh, you did answer that question. So, um, and you also uh, mentioned this, the achievements that you made in your first term, or at least things you're proud that you did uh, with, with the non-discrimination ordinance and the uh, aggregate. Uh, do you have any other initiatives or things you'd like to bring forward in a second term uh, that you hope to get collaboration from the rest of council to, to execute? Thank you for asking. Yes, I do. <laughs> okay. Um, I mentioned earlier about the neighborhood planning groups that at the time didn't seem to get much traction. However, in the new um, comprehensive plan, it does mention um, possibly looking into getting a housing commission together from the the residents. And so um, rather than maybe one commission, I'm thinking now this is the time to institute these neighborhood planning groups. We, we could do it by, by wards. We have five wards in Hilliard. Um, and, and so these folks would be like an area, a mini area commission, mm-hmm. right. and they could give input into, um, you know, what, what they want to see in their area, uh, developments, that sort of thing, you know, parks, whatever. Um, and I think now is a good time to do that. So that is one thing that I'm going to tackle um, starting in January if I get reelected. Um, also, protecting the Big Darby Creek area is really important to me. So that is something I am very actively engaged in, um, making sure that we have the right information to make these d- decisions. The last study that the Ohio EPA made was, is almost now 10 years old, 2014. We're making critical decisions for this delicate ecosystem with 10-year-old information, and we've had development since then. So that is not a good thing, and in my mind, that's not okay. Yeah, it's got to be uh, a priority to figure that out because many candidates have said Big Darby's a priority, uh, mm-hmm. concerned about people kind of putting in their own homesteads and using septic systems and being too dependent on that, wanting to tie into city water potentially. Who knows what the overall meaning behind those choices is or meaning behind those preferences is because we aren't up to date on what we actually are trying to do out there. So more focus, more review, more intense scrutiny of what's actually in the cards for the future out there is better than just going, I don't like this kind of development or I don't like that kind of development or this doesn't work for me or that doesn't work for me. So a more intense era of restudy might be in order for that. And I, I don't think you'd get much objection from that across any of the council people because it would lead them into uh, forward progress on, I would on hope securing not. it. Yeah. Although I do know that one of my colleagues, Mr. Carrier, said to somebody very recently after a council meeting or in the middle of a council meeting that he would like to clip the wings of the Ohio EPA. That is not a good thing if we want to make sure that we can have a study done out in the the watershed area. 
I've mentioned to many candidates, I think I mentioned to Les, that the federal EPA has been kind of crippled uh, by the Supreme Court and its ability to regulate and to uh, assess and to even define things in terms that people can agree on. What contiguous water connectivity means, what uh, the level of distance has to be between groundwater, uh, not groundwater, I'm sorry, but between bodies of water that are separated by land but still considered one body of water. Those distances have been changed and they've been done arbitrarily and they've kind of been done to enhance the potential for development. So getting on the ball in some way, shape or form, deploying the resources as a city should be a goal. I think a lot of people can agree on. Yes, um, but it is the Ohio EPA that would have to do that that study, and so I, I have talked to our administrative staff about that, and I'm talking to everybody I know. How can we push the Ohio EPA to to get that done? I know it comes down to money. And is it scheduling? They have a full schedule of projects. Or? Well, I, their staffing is very limited, mm. and and their money has been cut by the state legislature. Mm. So, you know. It's resources, lack of resources, because our state has decided that it's not important to fund the Ohio EPA, which is here to protect us from environmental issues, right? Yeah, it wasn't too long ago there was a burning river in this state, if I recall. (laughs) Uh, Great. Uh, I think that there's a number of directions we could go in off of that last series of of hopes and, and, and ambitions for the future. We've talked about a lot of times the idea that people are getting involved at the wrong time with a lot of this development news after things are done and pretty much finished and uh, there there's nothing left but to be agonized or in some cases uh, to function or to seek obstruction when and when there's nothing to be done. But earlier and earlier involvement by everybody is the goal, and, and a neighborhood planning group provides people a recurring environment uh, a way to always come together and know that they can come together and talk about what's going on. So I share your ambitions for that pretty strongly, uh, and I hope to see it uh, implemented soon. May I mention something? Oh, sure, also? go ahead. Um, because apart from talking to my council colleagues back in 2020 about neighborhood planning groups, I did, you know, I was talking to Michelle Crandall uh, about, you know, the importance to me about having resident input. And I know that um, the city did initiate at, at that point the Talk to Us Hilliard, which, which is an online f- uh, method for, for people mm-hmm. to give feedback on different topics. So that is ongoing and it is online, um, a little different than actually having a neighborhood group right. meet. But, but at least it, you know, I, I was happy to see that that, that was started for sure. Um, and I, I did want to mention something about the Hilliard by design, um, because I know that one of your other guests mentioned that it was not widely uh, advertised, and it wasn't on social media very much. Um, And a quick count showed that it was on Facebook and Twitter and, you know, social media at least 14 times for people to put you know, to have input into the plan. Mm. Um, There were um, other times uh, or other um, media where it was mentioned, like in the email blast, if you're signed up for the emails from the city that come out every week, 
it was on that. It it was in the uh, booklet that we send out every, um, I think it's every quarter. Yes, um, and there were numerous direct mailings about it. I remember solicitations mm-hmm. to come to different meetings at the library and different things like that coming through the mail. So on yes. you know, basically glossy cardstock and things like that. They were out at Freedom Fest. They were out at um, different um, celebration at the station events. You know, So, yes, the, the, the city really tried hard and numerous times to get public input for sure. I think it's yes and – uh it's it's never been my contention that that wasn't a meaningful effort on the part of the city but i think technology is always going to stand in the way of uh, uh or stand in place of full engagement right so you can say we had talk to us deployed and they had online listening sessions and it was mentioned 14 times on facebook or you know promoted 14 times through city postings or what have you but the nature of all these things, as soon as they get put out into those environments, they're lost in an algorithmic wash that you can't guarantee visibility to anybody or everybody or or, or particular people at any time. So I think to evolve further and to include the evolution of hopefully getting back to more in-person, true, sociable, uh, neighborhood-oriented groups where you can create things based along word lines would be preferable uh, in the absence of the other things, but as complements to this thing, mm-hmm. that's where you see the benefits of uh, a, a growing and professionalizing administration where you can bring people in through various methods. If I'm too tired after work, I would love to watch a video of the meeting instead of go to the meeting. <laughs> or similarly, if I don't have an opportunity because I'm out of town or my kids got a recital or something, the accessibility of these things has improved greatly. Uh, the The ability to make them meaningful in each person's everyday life is still lacking. So when those emails come in, you know, when we send out a Substack email through Hilliard Beacon, we count on a certain open percentage, a read rate. Uh, what the city gets on those is anybody's guess. Uh, I'm sure that information is accessible to people, but I'm sure it would come up short of what everybody's goal for those things is. So increasing that direct participation is always going to be a goal of mine. And I'm uh, encouraged to see that it's an ongoing goal of the city's and yours as well. That's Mm -hmm. that's great to hear. I will expect to see you at city council when we discuss it. I will be uh, I will be setting my alarm clock and I will be coming in when I can. <laughs> okay. uh, that's the feedback that I've had. And um, it's been made clear that, yes, the city made great effort to encourage uh, resident participation in the planning of, of, of the new community plan. And at the same time, uh, the most common feedback um, that I've heard about it is people were like, I didn't know. I didn't know. I didn't know. So, despite best efforts to get people to know through those technological means, through those technological means and events at Crooked Can and the other things, um, how are uh, how are we learning? How are we uh, setting ourselves up for even better community engagement? You know, there's going to be another plan. 10 years is not that far away and yeah. and work starting on that plan will probably happen, you know, within the next 5 um if not sooner. Um 
are we th- are you thinking about ways to even uh, get the message out more? Uh, start that work now. Hey, you are you're upset that you weren't consulted about this plan. Are you going to have your eyes peeled and your ears down uh, for when we start work on the next plan? What are some ways we can start planting the seeds to make sure that we have an even more robust community involvement when it comes time to uh, get to work on the next plan? Uh, do you have any ideas about uh, ways to do that? <clears throat> well, I'll go back to my idea of the neighborhood planning group. Sure, um, that would be. I, I, yeah. you know, I would like to see that started next year. Mm-hmm. Um, now, that's all dependent on people being engaged people being will, willing to give up some of their time. And those people have to be w- willing to go and talk to their neighbors, of course, so that they can get feedback from their their areas, right? Mm. Um, as far as what the city might be doing, I'm sure they're having those conversations, um, and I will make sure that I know what <laughs> right. what they're planning. Right. Yeah. I, I have to say, I think the less uh, people rely on these stream, these feed uh, information services, whether it be Twitter or Instagram or Facebook, I think the better it is. I think the more we can create centralized services, whether it's something as simple as a forum, a message board uh, for each of these wards, I think uh, hosted under city auspices, moderated uh, potentially, I think you could come up with a lot of things that would be beneficial to centralize that process and digitally kind of draws a magnet all the people that think they're participating best through this platform or this platform or this platform to engage directly locally with the source that's my thinking but go ahead tim it seems silly to expect people to engage in something that is actually important for their community this, uh, you know, ongoing collaborative effort to plan, all right, what, how do we want to see development happen, uh, to try and engage people on that when they're kind of just on their device seeking the next dopamine hit. Mm. You know, people aren't doing much life-changing stuff while they're scrolling Instagram. You know, that's their, as they, you know, as the seconds of their life tick away and they're waiting for death. Uh, this is <laughs> waiting for death. Okay. <laughs> Might be important to decouple meaningful work from the death waiting. Is that what you're saying? Yes, the meaningful work and the dopamine drip. Uh, there's uh, just a vast gulf of importance there. Yeah. Um, it's just a tool. Those are right. all tools, yeah. of course, which is um, why I love the in-person gatherings that, that we can have. Um that's why it's so wonderful to see things like celebration at the station and other events that, that the city holds where the community actually can come together. Now, they're not talking business. They're having fun. But, mm-hmm. you know, it, it is a community gathering. In our last uh, meeting, we kind of shifting back away from the community aspect of things, but more towards how this all is going to work going forward. I mentioned that there's going to be some serious fence mending and some serious bridge building to do when we get done with an election and get back into a true cycle of governance. What do you think is going to be important about setting the stage for meaningful collaboration between school board, township, and city council? I know that's been a long time and a long simmering situation, 
some candidates and council people have talked about starting that process with informal gatherings. Other people like Greg, uh, he was in last before you, talked about being more uh, official with those meetings and bringing those groups and people together. So where do you think the future lies for that type of uh, collaboration? Well, we, we actually are collaborating at present. Oh, we, of course. I know. I know. A- <laughs> I just mean in an ongoing yeah. and developing We way. have a formal meeting that's once a month. Um, the, the leadership of each of those organizations comes together, including Brown Township. So it's the two townships, the schools, and the, the city. And yeah. we uh, update each other on what's go- going on. Um, it's It's been a... I think it's been a fabulous tool to be able to have that communication amongst each other. Um, I know for me personally, I make it a point to, um, you know, have relationships with people from those other organizations, as long as they're willing to, and, um, you know, so so that we can collaborate and talk about important things. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I made it a point to reach out to Brown Township now that they're talking about doing a a trail that will connect Heritage Preserve out to um, Prairie Oaks. And, you know, that's, of course, a (laughs) multi-year endeavor. Mm. But, um, you know, I made sure that I was there. They know that I'm a a big supporter of that. Um, You know, so I do open communication on a a one-on-one level with people from the other organizations, for sure. And, And I think a lot of my colleagues do that as well. Um, I don't think the system is as broken as some people have portrayed it at all. Um, It's just certain individuals will be um, a little harsh and abrasive in how they treat others. And again, that's not okay. And uh, I I can look past that. I, I will look past that. I will continue to serve and do the work for the people of Hilliard, for sure. That kind of willingness uh, to go past that points to uh, a common sense, right? A common sense that recognizes the setting and the, the scene of what you're doing and why you're doing it and all those other things. Talk a little bit about, if you don't mind, outside of your upbringing, over the years, what has contributed to your understanding of your own perspective on common sense concerns? What makes you make decisions at base? When do you know you're looking at something you can make a choice on? Let's talk abstract. Okay. I'm not quite sure I'm I'm understanding your question. Well, that's all right. I have phrased this a couple different ways, and I guess what I'm looking for is we're all raised, we're all brought up, and Kevin's talked a little bit about some of the kids that are uh, wonderful to have in class and some of the kids that struggle in school and the contributing factors to that. And some of that is not having good common sense. Uh, some of that is not not having people they can rely on to provide uh, good information that they can trust. But outside of those early formative years, we go through things all the time uh, in our lives experientially that say, oh, I won't make that mistake again, or that was a great opportunity, and that makes me more likely to keep an open mind about X, Y, or Z. So I guess what would you say from your adult life that you've had as an experience that has contributed to that sense of, oh, that felt good, that felt bad, and what makes it more likely to happen in the future? 
Hmm. Wow, that is a question. Yeah, um, sorry. <laughs> Sometimes seven of these things into it, you try to really stretch yourself and reach for a few things. And, you know, if you don't feel comfortable talking about that yeah, type yeah. of thing or that loose idea, that's fine, too. I'll take that as an L on my scorecard as opposed to yours. <laughs> um, no, I mean, obviously, um, I've had uh, successes. I've had failures. I've had um, letdowns. I've, I've had, you, you know euphoric experiences like we all do. Um, I think just understanding that life is constantly changing. We constantly have good and bad happening to us. We, we constantly have to be flexible. I know I learned that lesson with children. I have four children, and I learned very quickly as a mom that if I was not going to be flexible... I was going to have a rough time of it. <laughs> or an aneurysm or a heart attack yes. or, or any number of yes. negative outcomes. So so learning to be very flexible, very understanding, um, I try to listen a lot. I think that's why doing interviews sometimes is hard for me because I'm more of a listener. I, I love to learn from other people ver- versus talking about my, myself. So I'm a listener and um, – that has helped me to just understand other people and connect with other people. I think it's important to find those connections amongst each other because I do believe there's connections amongst all of us. Even if you feel like you don't get along with someone. I, I can remember early on on, on council, um, I remember telling Les Carrier at, at one point, um, you and I actually have a lot of commonalities. And, and I saw this from conversations that we would have early on. And, um, and so sometimes he would blurt out in, in a council meeting, um, oh, we have something in common. And I would respond, yes, I keep telling you that we have stuff in common. So everybody has these commonalities. I think we have to work hard sometimes to, to get there so that then we can move on from there and accomplish greater things. So... I don't know if that answers your question, but... I think that did a fine job. Uh, and I wasn't going to admit if it didn't, because then it would make me look even worse as an interviewer. <laughs> but I, I do think that answered my question anyway. Um, let's say, uh, let's steer it back uh, to the community plan. Let's talk okay. about one of my favorite questions that's come up in this. Uh, and it was one of Tim's. And he just said out of nowhere, what's your favorite 20 pages of this community plan? What do you kind of look back on and say, oh, I love the idea of working on the retired rail corridor or I love the work that was done on economic development in Chapter 2 or 3 or, or any of those early portions of the community plan? What, what do you find yourself returning to and looking to for inspiration or maybe for these second-term uh, potentially goals? Mm-hmm. I'm a huge fan of trails and trail connections. That one's come up a lot. Um, Almost everybody. Yes. Yeah. So I love that we are already actively planning um, for the Dublin Road Trail connection, which will connect from Hayden Run Road all the way to the the, cor- the new quarry uh, development. Mm-hmm. Um, that that to me is huge. Of course, that's going to take a few years. Um, and the fact that we are looking at that retired rail corridor for hopefully uh, trail connection there. I um, 
I'm also happy to see in the plan that with these mixed-use de- developments, there's there's like green spaces and gathering spaces that we are looking to have within those co- communities. <clears throat> I love to travel, and when we travel to other countries, I like to see what other people are doing in other countries, right? So I see, uh, well, this this last summer we were in Scotland, and I saw this fabulous little community gathering space um, amidst these, like, apartment-type dwellings, and they had this great community garden. So I look at stuff like that, and I bring it back and think, how, you know, how can we do more of that here in in Hilliard? Um, So... Those are two things that I really like ab- about our community plan. I, I love the mixed-use um, idea be- because I'm a walker. I'm a biker. I, I like to be able to get places w- without a car. That was one thing when I first moved to Hilliard in 2004 that I did not like was that I would have liked to have been able to get on my bike w- with my kids and go to the library safely. I was down in Brookfield Village at the time, and there was really no way to do that in a safe manner, so... Um, the more trail connectivity we, we can have and the more walkability we can have, I think that's much better for the people of Hilliard. Well, this community plan is interesting in that the last one as well, and in some ways all of uh, development going forward is trying to reverse engineer a lot of what was done impulsively in the 70s as far as suburbia and the highway system and different things that kind of came about and created, I don't want to say unsustainable because the city's here and it's the city that we all live in and love, but it's it's a model that doesn't represent real community living in the way that a lot of people heretofore have always understood it. It was based on the commute. We know how many people leave Hilliard every day and come into Hilliard every day just for purposes of work and things like that, and it's an eye-opening number yeah, it is. to see it illustrated the way it is in the community plan, and you kind of wonder... What does that leave in the way of like a real community life? And if we want to have neighborhood planning groups and if we want to have uh, comfortable places and sociability, we need to start developing like that. And I think that's uh, in line with a lot of the other economic goals and, and meaningful needs that we have ecologically that are prompting our development methods and modes. But uh, what do you think the future holds for Hilliard in that regard? Do you think that there will be a day where uh, you see the kind of walkability that you want in major cities brought to these suburban communities. Do you think we can get there? Well, we don't have the numbers of, say, uh, you know, a New York City, for example, where everybody's walking everywhere. Um, So, and I shouldn't have used that term because... That's out on a video, and I do not want to make Hilliard into New York City. Yeah, careful, by the way. <laughs> careful. It <laughs> um, would take a lot. That would take a lot of parking. <laughs> we oh need my to gosh. import millions um, or billions of rats. <laughs> but I definitely think that that we can make great strides in that direction for sure. Um, it would be fabulous for me in my subdivision to be able to walk to a grocery store or bike there. Um, safely. So I do think we can make strides. It's going to take years and years, of course. Right. You know, we've developed this way for decades and decades. So it's nothing that's going to happen quickly. It's hard to revise decades of automobile-based planning mm-hmm. yeah. and make something human-scaled. 
Yeah, right. it just doesn't exactly, you can't and it just takes press money. A button. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, I think we've got time for just one more question, Kevin. Only one. I think. Well, I mean, one question, one um, statement. I was going to ask. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> You've got time for a question and a statement. Well, her statement, not mine. Oh, okay. Please continue. <laughs> Sometimes, uh, towards as we wind up these election specials, I'll ask something that's um, it's more social. Um, it's not a music question, Cynthia. <laughs> <laughs> but I did tell Jordan I do have some information. Well, Freedom Fest, um, you know, potential <laughs> acts for Freedom uh, Fest. Oh, we do. Well, we'll, Maybe. Get, we'll, we'll get to that Not too, potential acts. Um, if I can mention quickly, because yeah. I heard when you interviewed somebody else, you were, you were talking about country versus non-country acts, because oh. that yeah. is something I had been thinking about as well. And so I recently found out that the non-country acts do not like venues such as what such as our setup at the park. They like to have contained spaces like stadiums in which to perform. They do not Dad? like our setup and and so we will Makes probably sense. never get a non-country act for Freedom Fest. The, the, the country acts are great with our setup, but not the others. Open-air amphitheater, huh? Mm. <laughs> yes. Translates to the jangle a little bit better than the amplified rock. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, there might be an opportunity uh, down the line for some other kind of musical acts to come here and perform in Hilliard in an enclosed environment, but I don't want to talk too much about it right now. 30 years yeah. from now, maybe we can get Wu-Tang. Right, we'll get a stadium show. They'll be 100 years old. For Method Man. <laughs> Go ahead, you Kevin. You were in Phoenix uh, before you moved to Columbus in 2004. Mm-hmm. Did you ever see the Diamondbacks play? Did you go watch the Diamondbacks? I did was not. This world-class eye roll. He did not. <laughs> he was not a baseball fan. <laughs> see, I'm I originally expression because uh, I was squinting over her yeah. because the Rangers and the Astros are playing right now. So oh, I so I, I looked side off a little bit. I'm admitting now. I looked off to what's that? And that's why Cynthia thought I was. But yeah, you did, not a big Diamondbacks fan? <laughs> well, I'm originally from San Diego, so I was a Padres fan. I and okay. I did go to see the Padres play. Okay. Gotcha. <laughs> the Diamondbacks won the World Series in 2001, uh, which I guess you, you were living there then, right? They, I was. They beat the Yankees in 2001, and the Yankees were... World as beaters. Much, as yeah. most people don't like New York, they kind of wanted... I think the whole world was behind the Yankees because of 9-11 that particular fall. Uh, but Arizona yeah. beat them in the World Series, and they are in the National except Championship Series. Luis I have Gonzalez. not been to that park. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I was going to say, except for Luis Gonzalez. <laughs> he didn't think they should win. No. <laughs> I've been to uh, 16 Major League Stadiums, but I have not oh. been to Chase Field, uh, which is the park in Phoenix. Ah, or okay. to, um, used to be called Jack Murphy Stadium. It, did, it was. Uh, <laughs> it's named after... Is it Qualcomm still? It, no. it became Qualcomm Petco. Stadium. Petco. Right? Oh, Petco. Okay. It's I made several dogs, evolutions. Yeah. It's been several things. May, may, uh, may so. San Diego never undergo a, a financial scandal that requires the removal of stadium naming rights <laughs> like First Energy Stadium did. Why can't we just go yes. back to naming our stadiums ap- after... Riverfront Stadium. After Three River Stadium. Or reprehensible like white men. <laughs> <laughs> Paul Brown. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Well, anyway, uh, folks. No, I, but I, would, I do want to offer Cynthia please. Uh, the um, uh, opportunity to summarize uh, basically maybe a, a closing statement like you've made at some candidates' nights before uh, mm-hmm. for our mm-hmm. listeners uh, in terms of uh, where they can go to find you, support you, what you hope to do, that type of why thing. They Whatever for you want. You. Sure. You okay. Well, um, as I've mentioned, I 
strive to work for the betterment of the community and the residents of, of Hilliard. They're always on the forefront of my mind. Um, you can see some of what I um, have done on my website, votevermilion.blue. I post on my um, Facebook page, which is Vote Vermilion. That kind of gives you a feel for what's important to me um, with what I post. Um, I strive to be the voice of you, the, the people. And, and so that's always what I try to do when I'm at a council meeting. I think about what would I want to know if I were a resident watching? What, you know, what would I ask? And and so I I try to elicit that information um, from the various topics that we're covering. Um, I have enjoyed. There's a bug there. Sorry. Um, I have enjoyed being on city council and being a voice for for everybody in my community. And I would appreciate the opportunity to go four more years on city council on your behalf and uh, vote for me on November 7th. There you go. <laughs> Thank you, everyone. Uh, we will be back soon with another installment of the Hilliard Beacon with more election coverage. We are committed to getting all these interviews done and out before the election comes through. So please like, subscribe and support us if you can uh, via your app of choice. Uh, we are presently on Substack, but we are hoping to get this more widely distributed as, a, as an audio format and uh, more available to different podcast listening apps and all these other things here in the near future. So uh, until next time, we continue the good fight and hope that you're out there living your best life. So mm -hmm. for Tim Hoffman and Kevin Corvo and for candidate Cynthia Vermillion, we wish you a good evening and good night. <laughs>